high above historic Belfont, and still in the smack dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, a podcast that's mostly about food and drink in central Pennsylvania. Welcome to episode 30, Soup Season. My father was a high school teacher in southern Lancaster County for many years. It was pretty rural with winding hilly roads, so snow days were always a possibility in the winter. When there was snow in the forecast, he'd start singing his snow day song, taking the district supervisor's name in vain. Fat Albert, Fat Albert, please close down that school. He'd be singing this as he trimmed beef short ribs, which were dirt cheap back then, and diced up vegetables for soup. It was sort of a ritual. If a medium to heavy snow was forecast, he'd run to the store. While everyone else was buying milk and bread, Sir was loading up on beef, fresh and frozen vegetables, and Cope's dried corn. He'd braise the beef, then take it out to cool and put the vegetables in the broth, adding enough tomato juice to give it color. By the time he was done, and the trimmed and cubed beef had been put back in, the soup filled most of a 20-quart pot. We'd eat soup for a few days. Those were happy meals for me. I loved that stuff. In temperate climates like central Pennsylvania, upstate New York, New England, the upper Midwest, this is soup season. We'll make soups the rest of the year, but it's much more imperative, much more rewarding during these short, cold days that always have the potential to leave us snowbound. Chop up some vegetables, brown and slice some meat, some sausage, put it in a pot full of water, and then go out to deal with what the weather has brought in work or play or that pleasing combination of both. And then we come back in, toss a sheaf of noodles or a scoop of rice in the pot, bring it to a quick boil while setting out bowls and spoons, buttering bread. In short time, it's soup, and we breathe the reviving steam, slurp the restorative broth. Or stop on a long winter drive for a cup of soup at a diner or cafe. Minestrone, ham and bean, chicken noodle, clam chowder. Crush the crackers, throw on some pepper or hot sauce, and stir it up. You'll get back on the road with a warmth in your belly that isn't just hot soup. It's the satisfaction of hot soup. So this episode, in the bleak middle of January, we're going to talk about soup. What it is, how to make better soup, different soups from different cultures, the difference between soup and stew and chowder and that old devil chili con carne. I went to some great soup places here in Center County and down by Harrisburg and tried their soups. And yes, I have an interview with the secret soup cook at Otto's Pub in State College, Jillian Lee. We're going to get to all of that. But first, here's what I'm drinking today. What I'm drinking today is Jim Beam's Knob Creek nine-year-old single-barrel reserve bourbon. We got this bottle for Christmas from our good friend and fan of the podcast, Rob Drury. I've been a Knob Creek drinker for a long time. In fact, I consider Knob Creek to be the first bourbon I drank as a pro. This was way back in the late 90s, and Kathy and I were in D.C. on a business trip. She was going to a meeting at the FDA. I can tell you exactly what day it was. It was January 26, 1998. I don't remember that because of the Knob Creek. I remember it because the next morning was when Hillary Clinton first talked about the vast right-wing conspiracy on the Today Show. I remember watching it in our hotel room. It's funny what you remember. I also remember going down to the hotel bar the night before, after Kathy'd gone to bed, and thinking, I'll have a bourbon. So I ordered a Knob Creek after some dithering, and I had a sip. Wow, that nine-year-old hundred-proof authority slapped me upside my head. I'd never had anything like that. I've been a fan ever since, as I watched the brand evolve and expand. This expression is that same nine years old, but a single-barrel bottling. It's not at cask strength, but it's proof to a hefty 120. I'm more experienced now, it's not going to take me by surprise. Cheers. Mmm. Wow. Beamhouse character right there. Uh, Rich stewed corn, cinnamon, mm, some uh, oak spice, by which I mean just the smell of oak. Cut it, chop it, file it. You're going to smell what oak smells like. Mmm. I can feel the heat, too. Well, down the hatch. Wow, pretty well-mannered for 120 proof. Don't really feel the heat up front. Up front, it's it's actually fairly lean after that that sweet nose. 
fair amount of fair amount of oak, but that cinnamon and corn are there. And then the heat comes in really on the back of the of the mouth, giving it an almost dry character and uh, much more wood coming on in the finish. Mm. You know, but after that finish starts to fade a bit, that core of, of corn sweetness really comes in. It's just a well-made bourbon. Knob Creek's always been, as I said, a favorite. I think it's a good value whiskey, and there's a reason that they have expanded that Knob Creek brand. Uh, it's a it's a good name. It it means good bourbon. Oh man, oh yeah, and that 120 really has the authority, but does not bring the heat that much. Um, I should uh, try this with a little bit of water. So just putting in a, a splash. Wow, tames the heat in the nose. Ah, much more friendly and uh, spreads more in the in the mouth. Oddly, seems uh, a bit thicker. Um, more mouthfeel because of the water. That's uh, that's also pretty good. That's a uh, that's a nice bottle. And you know, I I thought of this when I picked it. This is actually one you can get. I know I, I do a lot of uh, limited release stuff and sample stuff, things that uh, you can't always get in Pennsylvania or it's hard to find. I thought I'd cut you a break this time <laughs> and taste one that you can actually find. And you can. Knob Creek's readily available. Um, it's, uh, it's one of the better on-the-shelf bourbons out there. That's what I'm drinking today. So let's get to the interview. Jillian Lee has been making soup at Otto's Pub and Brewery in State College for the last eight years. Over that time, she gained a secretive reputation. No one knew who she was, but everyone, it seemed, loved the soups at Otto's. They took pictures of them, asked for their favorites, and took to social media to guess who was making the soup, or speculate that they were just being bought in bulk from a service. Finally, a few months ago, she, well... She revealed herself on social media on the Foodies of State College group on Facebook. Jillian told me all about this, and she seemed bemused. It's kind of cool that people like the soup, but kind of weird that they got that into it at all. I mean, it's soup. And one thing I know for sure after this interview, Jillian Lee really does love soup. It's her medium. She had been at Otto's all morning that day, cooking the big pots of soup that people crave. Broccoli cheddar? and her cheesy chicken fajita soup. I tasted them after the interview. The broccoli cheddar was good, rich, but leavened with the light green bits of broccoli. But the cheesy chicken fajita blew the broccoli out of my mind. Warmingly spicy, light cheesy body with chunks of cleanly cut chicken and strips of roasted red pepper had a glowing aroma that put a smile on my face. One of the best soups I've had this year, which is only kind of a January dad joke, I suspect it will remain one of the best soups I have this year, though I do plan on having some of the justly famous smoked trout chowder at the farm show this Friday. Here's the interview with Jillian Lee, the soup wizard. Enjoy. Hey, I'm here with Jillian Lee. You're the soup cook at Otto's, Otto's Pub and Brewery. The, How are you? The infamous soup wizard. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I'm good. Good. Yeah, Thank you. good. Good. Yeah, it's I mean, a great day, a little cold. But. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the perfect time of year for soup. Right? Yes. I exactly. mean, any time of the year for me is a good time to make soup, but it gets always uh, super popular this time of year for. Yeah, know. soup season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, what did you make today? Uh, I made chicken fajita, a cheesy chicken fajita soup, and I made uh, broccoli cheddar. Oh, back nice. there too. You're welcome to have a bowl of either. Uh, by the way, I'd love uh, to I will try bring that. I will bring you some. Okay, and I'm going to wander right off here. I'm already going off script. I see things like a fajita soup and a tortilla soup. Are there actually chunks of the wrap in there? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes if we have uh, tortilla strips, I'll have them. I'll put a note on it because I write down um, a recipe list for them in the back uh, so that the servers can answer people's questions oh, okay. about ingredients for allergy reasons and stuff. And I will put notations on there like gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, nut-free, vegetarian, or non, or if they have seafood in it, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, on there, I'll put things like, please talk with extra cheddar or please talk with tortilla strips for extra yum. You know, something 
goofy like that or put a little smiley face by it. But yeah, sometimes if I have the tortilla strips uh, for like chicken fajita or chicken tortilla soup, I'll have that as like a, a topper okay. for it. Yeah. Nice. How do you decide what soups you're going to make? Whatever I feel like. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> I'll come in and I'll I'll say, "Was there any requests from anybody? Like, oh. if anybody in the kitchen's like, oh, hey, you haven't made this in a while.'" And a lot of the time, that's it. Cracks me up uh, when I see on um, online that people like the chicken curry so much. I get asked to make that a lot in here mm. by the staff. They'll be like, "When are you making chicken curry next? When's the chicken curry?" <laughs> so that's one of the popular ones. You know, or if I'm, like, in the mood for something in particular, a lot of the times when you see, like, the oddball soups, like uh, my chicken broccoli alfredo or, like, gumbo or seafood chowder, that's a me thing because I Uh really like seafood soup. Okay. So that's, like, sometimes it's my personal preference. Sometimes it's depending on if if I heard somebody in here be like, oh, people said that you haven't done a vegetarian soup in a while. Like, I really do just kind of like to, like, cater to the people. Okay. Because I just like to make food that people like to eat and you've been doing this for quite a while mm -hmm. here right yeah Yeah. i mean i've been cooking in state college since i can remember since i was 13 i got my first job at a restaurant i mean i learned uh, you're from here Uh yeah Yeah. i grew up up in penn valley yeah i went to school penn valley high school um and my father worked at penn state for 35 years too so i've always kind of worked in or been around state college and then i worked in restaurants since I was young and then I've just worked in a bunch of random places, got trained by a bunch of really great chefs uh, over the years. And then I worked at D's. That's when I learned how to make soups. My chef, uh, his name was Thomas McKibben. He showed me the ropes on how to do soups every day from scratch. I come in early in the morning with him, get up on, if you've ever seen Ratatouille, the moon where the chef pulls out the little stool and goes up on it in front of that big pot. That was me at D's for years, learning how to make soups because I was like 21. I'm, I was on a step stool up on, you know, in front of this big pot on like a hot plate in the back kitchen at D's with Tom, the chef, teaching me how to make soup from scratch there. And I learned basically everything about soup making from him. And then I just kind of rolled with it from there. Uh, the jobs I've, you know, gone on to after I left D's uh, or D's left town. That's why I stopped working there. You know, I always enjoyed the fact that uh, I learned, I picked up soups from Tom at D's and I've carried it on. And now it's kind of become a thing that's been seemingly popular in this town is I've always kind of gotten like praise for how good when I've made soup, wherever I've cooked at, that's kind of how I fell into like soup making. Okay. Uh, I, I I do it here because I was the prep cook here for a long time, about seven, almost eight years ago. It'll be this year. I started working here as the prep cook. And so I did all the prep and like I do, I did everything from scratch because that's uh, one of my MOs too. I like making everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. So I made all the dressings. I did like all their dips and stuff too and the chili and the soups, the French onion soup, uh, all that stuff. And, and then, that whole fresh local thing is kind of an auto's thing, too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I did everything from scratch as the prep cook here for the last several years. And then uh, about two years ago now, I transitioned to a different full-time job. But I didn't want to leave here completely because everybody, like, like I said, I really like making soup. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because they don't ever really give me any restrictions on it here and that's kind of what that was kind of why i became it became like kind of my thing because i was like ooh, i feel like a wizard i can just kind of make whatever i feel like you know depending on the day and they like it nobody ever complained you know what i mean like i i was always getting rave reviews from the bartenders the servers would tell me like how much the customers loved everything so it's just like cool i'm keep making it and i didn't want to leave so i stayed on part-time and now I'm just like solely like the soup cook here <laughs> because it's my favorite thing to do and I didn't want to stop doing it and they seem to love it so much here and I don't think they want me to leave and stop doing it yeah. either. So uh, You'd lose the magic. Yeah, that's, you know, like I said, it's become kind of like a funny joke. It's like everybody in here thinks it's like, they think it's great. I think it's hilarious <laughs> because I'm, I'm. I'm just me. I'm not like Gordon Ramsay or anything. I'm like, I'm just me. I'm just like a weird little goblin kitchen person back there making, making soup. soup. Yep. <laughs> so what? what is it that you like so much about making soup? I, like I said, I just, 
uh, one, it's I'm really good at it. I can just kind of, uh, no kidding, the guys who watch me make it back there, uh, my friend who I go over and sometimes play private chef in his kitchen, I, I'll make soup at his place too. And that's kind of, I, I'll experiment sometimes. Mm. They'll watch me just throw everything together in a pot. Not measure anything, just like do ingredients, and I'll just look at some be like spice, spice. <laughs> like that's good, that's good. Butter, this, this, and like, and then it comes together, and they'll watch me not even try it till the very end when it's done. Oh, you take don't a spoon even taste it till that. Wow, till the okay. very end. No, and then I take a spoonful, and I'm always like, I do my own little like <laughs> dance, but I'm always like. I'm awesome. It's amazing. It's perfect every single time. And I like sound like I'm full of myself, but then I'll have somebody else try and they'll be like, it's so good. I'm like, yeah, I know. I don't know, man. I'm a wizard with soup. I got to so. tell you, there was a place we went to <clears throat> down in Hampton Roads in Virginia. It's got to be 12, 15 years ago. I went in there with my brother-in-law and we sat down and this woman comes out and says, what do you want in a sandwich? What's on the menu? She's like, don't look at the menu. She says, I'm a genius with sandwiches. And, you know, I was thinking, yeah, how good can... Wow. Uh-huh. Wow. She really put some stuff together that yeah. was just, you know... Some people are just really good yeah. at, like, figuring out how to cook and do certain things. And that's how I am. That's why I have such a hard time. That's another reason why people haven't really met me over the years here. Because people have been like... I have servers come back and they'd be like, oh, these people want the recipe and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> I'd be happy to like get, but I'm like, uh, how do I explain to you people that I'm just kind of like a wizard who just throws things together in quantities that I see fit. And in my brain, it puts it together and I'm like, yeah, that'll taste good. So, so are there any, um, like, any I mean, tips? I can. Oh, yeah, like absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, because my, my coworkers now at my current job, they love hearing um, that, <laughs> that I'm like, that, that I was a, you know, that I was a professional cook for a long time and that I was a private chef and stuff and that I'm like the soup wizard now. Um, I like telling them, you know, I like making, if you're going to make a soup with a roux in it, uh, make it in soup. That's what my um, my old uh, boss, the, the chef who taught me how to make soups, taught me. So I always do, I melt the butter down first, cook the veggies first. Also, put your spices in first because you want it to bloom. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will wait and season everything at the very, very end. And I hate that because that doesn't allow your spice especially dry spices if you have fresh herbs sure put them in at the very end but if you have dry spices and stuff put them in with your veggies when you're sauteing and you're cooking off in the beginning because you want the spice to bloom and you want it to cook in and that's how you get everything to be flavored evenly and taste Mm. the right way um if you put the spices in at the end they clump up a lot of the times and people get like pockets Mm. and i don't think people realize that when they're so i always say i hesitate against adding anything other than like basic like salt pepper at the end you know what i mean but like paprika parsley cumin like cayenne curries like anything else like red pepper flakes any other kinds of spices marjoram thyme sage rosemary any of that dried like i said i like to like crush it up and add it when i'm sauteing the veggies right off the bat um and then when you cook everything like cook your veggies um you know some chefs will say mirepoix um I like to say I'm a chef that was trained by chefs. I didn't go to culinary school. I don't have a degree, but I was still dubbed a chef by the last chef who trained me. And he graduated from Le Cordon Bleu as one of the top four of his class. So I was like, if he wants to dub me a chef, then I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm kind of honored that I'm, you know, like a chef trained by chefs. So. But I don't give myself the official title ever. That's why I'm always kind of like weird. And I'm like, I'm a professional cook, but... You know, chefs call me chef. But that's, anyway, another thing, too, I learned doing the in-soup roux and cook everything down. Um, Like I said, your mirepoix, like carrot, celery, onions, or whatever your veggie base is Mm -hmm. for your soup. Then add your flour to it and keep cooking in the pot because you want it like it'll start to if it starts to clump up too hard then you probably put too much flour in Uh, you want about an even amount of flour to butter uh because you want the the roux to like it kind of like you're cooking the flour in the butter so it bubbles up and it makes this kind of like peanut butter looking roux right and like when i'm doing um 
gumbo, I cook the roux on the side and I cook it ahead of time because I'll cook it for five hours oh to do gosh. a gumbo. Yeah. If I do okay. gumbo in here, uh-huh. I um, like have to make it like an all day project uh, because I like to do it the right way. <laughs> um, and I'll cook the roux for hours on the, on the pot on the side. Uh-huh. Um, and I'll put the seasoning in it. Like I'll put blackening seasoning or Cajun seasoning, whatever, and in with the roux and cook it in there. And it turns this like caramely brown, reddish color. It's real nice. And they call that like a peanut butter roux or a brown roux mm-hmm. or like a dark roux. Um, I had a friend who called it old brick. <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks like an old <laughs> brick. Yeah, that's <laughs> the color of it. Like it looks like you like cooked peanut butter really hard in a pot. <laughs> and you're kind of like, ugh. But it makes the gumbo really, really nice. Mm-hmm. But that's always my like – my go-to with the soups when you're making a creamy soup is make the roux in it. Don't don't make it on the side and add it later. It's just easier if you make it in the pot first mm-hmm. and incorporate it because then you uh, can add your your stock or your, your heavy cream or your milk or whatever then your liquid and start to whisk it in there too. And you'll start to see the like the base will thicken up and you can give it, you can keep track of like how even the base of your soup's coming out. Whereas like if if you add the roux afterwards, you have the, the, the chance of it clumping up more if you don't whisk it in fast enough. Mm-hmm. When you make it in the bowl and you add the liquid in, you can add the liquid slowly and then whisk the whole uh. thing at the same time. And you keep pouring more liquid in and you get a more even. You kind of understand what I'm yeah. going at here. Yeah, I'm really sorry. Um, this is audio and people aren't getting the hand motions. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I talk a lot with uh, my face and my hands, too. I know. I'm. I, that's the other reason I was like hesitant to get back to you because i was like i don't think this guy knows what he's getting himself into because i'm an odd human being but uh now i specialize in those i talk to brewers so (laughs) no uh, i'm i'm happy to do it really um so do you still make soup at home oh yeah for sure for sure and uh like i said like i said i i have a friend's place i go to my my kitchen at home is like very tiny and um kind of a pain uh so i have a friend's place i go to because his kitchen is very very nice and he has a lot of the the stuff there that i like to use and i'll make soup uh and test it out at his place um and then you know uh, i did uh, that's that's why uh they got italian wedding soup on the menu here because i made it over at his place uh tested it out and saw how um i liked the the recipe that i came up with and then came in and made it here the next weekend i'll make soup at home I just like making soup. I think you can make a lot of different things into soup. And I think you can, it doesn't have to be like a standard soup recipe. Like mm-hmm. a lot of my soups here are just, I came up with them in my head. Okay. Um, and then I just made them. Like the broccoli cheddar Alfredo. Uh, same thing, the chicken fajita. Uh, there's, I do a chicken Parmesan soup. Ooh. That's, um, it's basically like, uh, and to think about it, it's basically I make uh, tomato soup which I do make f- completely from scratch, too. A lot of people joke that, like, oh, the tomato soup just, like, open up a bunch of cans of Campbell's, right? And I'm like, no. I I mean, I open up cans of pre-chunked tomatoes, sure. yeah. But I'm like, no, I cut up carrots, celery, onions, and then I use pre-done-up done chunked tomatoes. I'll get tomato paste, you know, heavy cream, the base and everything, veggie stock, mix it all together. I'm like, no, I make it from scratch, um, so if I'm making chicken parm soup, I will make tomato soup from scratch. Then I make cook-off chicken. Uh, sometimes I'll have them uh, bread up and fry me chicken. Sometimes I'll just do just baked chicken in the oven, like mm-hmm. boneless, skinless chicken, and then chunk it up and add it to the soup and then add Parmesan cheese. Just enough so that it like incorporates into the soup and you get the flavor of like a chicken Parmesan sandwich if you were going to bite into it. And then you serve it and add a little bit more parm on top. So it's basically like having tomato soup with chicken in it. But I'm like, it's like chicken parm soup. So it's like a chicken parm sandwich. Sure. You know, uh, I like coming up with just fun, you know, stuff like that. Okay. What are what are some of the odd ingredients that you use? If there are in any. soups, yeah. yeah. Well, there was um, one everybody always kind of uh, I don't want to say cringes over <laughs> when I make um, sometimes the cheeseburger soup because it has pickles in it, and people were like, "Pickles in <laughs> soup?" And I'm like, "No, it's good." There's also which I am going to uh, try in the future here because I found a recipe for and made at 
uh, my friend's kitchen is uh, it's like a Polish potato pickle soup. Oh. So it's another I was well, like yeah. another soup with pickles in it because I had a couple people be like cheeseburger soup with pickles, and then they tried it. And I'm like, yeah, it's got ketchup and mustard and everything in it too. And they're like, <laughs> what? And they eat it and they're like, oh my God, it's amazing, but it tastes like a cheeseburger. I'm like, see, yeah. So that's one uh, apple bacon beer cheese soup was one people were like apples and beer and cheese in a soup and then they have it and they're like oh wow what was another one i know there's been one or two that folks have been like huh with the ingredients right. that i've had in it um oh boy but that's kind of the challenge bringing, like, bringing it together yeah oh well right? and vegan soups i've done oh, i've done okay. um because we used to do autos used to do before uh covid became a mm. uh, hum and made everything crazy. Uh, we had Vegan Day dedicated, oh. like at Autos, uh-huh. um, and we. I used to do. Uh, I kind of help with the menu for that, uh, including I do vegan and vegetarian soups. So that was like another challenge of like, I would say weird ingredients, but like replacing ingredients to still make good soup. Because yeah. again, I didn't want to do. I didn't want to just do like boring vegan soups to just do a vegan you know to just be like throw something on the menu yeah. like i wanted to do something broccoli and water that actually, with, yeah. yeah and yeah. that like that people who are you know that stay strictly vegan or vegetarian would come in and actually be like wow that's really good like that's a really good vegan option yeah. you know because like i said i just like making food for people that enjoy eating food and whether or not you're vegan or vegetarian or not, I, I kind of see it as like challenge accepted, you know, let's make something good. Right. So yeah, I've had soups with weird ingredients in them that I've kind of been like, Hmm, <laughs> but I trust the process and I trust myself to, to make it good. And it's always come out good. So, and I think people here trust me enough to the point where they'll try it too. So, so you mentioned chowders. Mm-hmm. Love soup chowder. versus chowder. Is there really a difference? Oh, chowder, like, thicker usually means it's, like, thicker. There's more chunks in it, like, okay. uh, chunks of veggies. Usually there's potatoes in chowders. Uh, a lot of the times that's what I find. Like, clam chowder, corn chowder, chicken corn chowder. Uh, those are, like, the main ones I make here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get asked for a lot. And they're always saying it's, like, kind of, like, chowders you think of, like, chunky, like, thick kind of soups. Yeah. Stew, because um, I, I saw that was one yeah. of your questions. <laughs> stew, by by all accounts, is just um, a, a stew. It has stewed for a long period of time. Uh, okay. Um, and stews, I, I have a fun fact about stews, is back in medieval times, in taverns, they used to make what they call, like, endless stew, mm, where they just, just keep, they keep adding ingredients yeah. to it, and they just let it on the fire. But that's the truth of why they call it a stew, is because it stews yeah. in itself for a yeah, long no period really of time. Stews. No, you no. can't make, like, when I make the Irish beef stew here for... St. Pat's, I come in and I make it really early or I make it the day before and then come in in the morning and heat it up really early because I will have it going all day because it's a stew. So I want it to, you don't ever, with stews, I never get anything up to a boil. I'll like, I'll saute the veggies off and then I'll add all the liquid and everything and get it to the desired thickness. And then I just, and then again, that's the point of the stew is to just let it go and then i let it go on like simmering heat mm-hmm. for hours mm-hmm. and then you know and i get the beef and everything in there and it like it'll thicken real heavy and i keep adding broth to it and i'll check the seasoning throughout the day but i like to just let it go and that's like kind of the point like i said stew by all definitions is just to something that you let cook for a long time to get the flavor and get the the tenderness and the texture and everything so that's my definition between stew and regular soup. Is like but soup is anything soups are a little quicker to make. Yeah, soup yeah. is anything I can make because my tomato soup, even I call it twenty-minute tomato, because I can still <laughs> okay. saute up once I've prepped my ingredients. Mm-hmm. And everything, I can still saute up the veggies, cook everything up, get it all cooked down, get the tomatoes and everything cooked up, because then I'll burmix it all together sure. with an like a big emulsion blade mixer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, so, that, that is something I wanted to ask. How big a pot of soup are we talking here? Oh boy, the one, um, well, one of the the pots that I use is about like would fit inside this, and it's about that big. I pick it up; it's a big round rondo wow. that's shallow. Yeah, and then there's a, one that's a slightly smaller. So I make about five gallons at a time when I do for here. Yeah, when I'm yeah. when I'm at, when I'm at home or I'm at my friend's kitchen cooking, I try to keep it under a gallon. Uh, but sometimes my brain is like uh, because I I used to do soup for the fraternities when I was a frat chef too. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of like hardwired to make like, yeah. you know, medieval size portions of soups for people. So yeah, I almost always wind up freezing mm-hmm. a fair amount. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cause it's just kind of locked in. Like, yeah. More. Yeah. That's yeah. why it, it works out here that it becomes like soup of the day because I'll make a soup and then two, three days later they've gone through the five gallons of it here and I need another one. So, uh, it works out. Yeah. Chili. Where does that fit in or doesn't it? Chili, I think, is its own by definition. Uh, beans, if people have like beans or no beans, chili with beans, chili with just meat. I think of, again, chilies as like, because I do a white chicken chili, oh. but it's got a lot of beans in it too. So I think of chilies as like meat and beans or like a lot of variety of like beans and veggies that you're cooking. Because most chilies, to me, have beans and veggies and are spicy of some varying degree of, mm-hmm. like, spiciness. And, again, I like being able to kind of, like, cater to people's spiciness. Right. Because people around here, I've gotten told, like, they don't like the spice. But I have made – I made a red shrimp curry in here once that was so spicy. Uh, a couple of gentlemen had came in who were from um, over in the Middle East and hadn't had anything – comparable to spice that they were used to till they had the red shrimp curry here and they complimented me for it because they were like it was really flavorful and it had heat to it there was a small and i was like i was like oh yay that's what i wanted to hear (laughs) was people that enjoyed the level of spiciness too but i also know people were like oh no i don't want it too hot so i like knowing like I, I like being able to, to adjust the levels of spice either in chili or curry or you know anything so, but yeah, that's again, my definition, I think of chilies is like spicy with beans and meat in it. And again, I know there's people who will say like, you know, chili, no beans is a thing. It is. But when I make chilies, it's, it's always spicy with beans, uh, whether it's I'm doing white chicken chili or like a regular chili like they do serve here at autos with the ground beef and three kinds of beans. There's a, a something I, I make here called... Uh, cowboy beef stew and it's basically like you take chili and combine it with baked beans but not the ground beef you take the chili take the ground beef out of the chili Uh instead you put chunks of beef Mm -hmm. like cut cuts of beef like sirloin and then baked beans and bacon so i make baked beans on the side make chili with the with the chunk beef and then combine the two and then add bacon to it, too. Ooh, um, I think there's a recipe that also calls you can put sausage and potatoes in it, too. Mm-hmm. It's amazingly good, but it tastes like chili and baked beans that you just, like, kind of threw idea. together in a yeah. pot. Yeah. 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 I like that idea. It's it's very good. So we, we talked about winter kind of being soup season. Mm-hmm. You still make soups in the summer. Mm-hmm. Do you make any cold soups? Uh, I've done... Uh, like gazpacho mm-hmm. um, once or twice. I'm, I will say I'm not as versed in cold soups as hot soups. I have to be um, honest, I'm not a huge fan. Like I, as same, I'm, it's just kind of like a personal preference of like, I like, I like hot soup. Yeah. I've always liked hot soup. Um, growing up when I spent time with my grandparents and my aunt, I, I had a lot of soups too. Like mm. they would make me like soup a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I just like hot soups. Like I said, I've made gazpacho um, a time or two um, more for other people than myself just to kind of prove I could do it. But I, I prefer hot soups too. I don't know. I think of soup and I think hot soup. Cold soup is kind of, uh, I don't know. If I'm eating like a bowl of like liquid and something, I want hot soup. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be hot. Well, that's um, that's kind of my last question. How do you eat soup? I mean, do you... Because do oh, my daughter is really particular about the size of the spoon. She hates big spoons. She oh. wants a little spoon. 
Um, I sometimes drink from a mug. That depends yeah. on the soup. Uh-huh. Same thing. Um, uh, you put crackers in it? Depending on the soup. Okay. Yeah. My chicken noodles, I like having crackers. Sometimes in the broccoli cheddar. Uh, sometimes I like uh, having bread bowls to oh, yeah. use for... Um, as the bowl for the soup, like the broccoli cheddar is good for that. Chicken corn chowder, loaded baked potato soup. Yeah, I uh, if I'm eating like a chowder or something like a stew that's got bigger chunks in it, I like a bigger spoon. If it's just like um, a bisque or like mm-hmm. like tomato basil bisque or salmon bisque, I use a smaller spoon just because it's I, rich. I yeah because yeah. I can like I can take like smaller bites of it at a time. Um, yeah, same thing. I'll drink the rest of the broth or like having a bread um, mm-hmm. or a bread bowl, like piece of bread and to, yeah, to soak up the yeah. rest of the, the broth. But I mean, I don't think there's any wrong way to eat soup and if you enjoy it and eat eat it all. I, I like that That's idea. what makes me happy. Okay. <laughs> That's good for me. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. You. That was a lot no, of fun. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's try some soups. After the interview, we kept talking, and I I wanted to share something that came up. I asked her about freezing soup, as in, are there soups that shouldn't be frozen? And it came back to the don't add dry noodles or rice to soup tip. They'll soak up more water from the soup, and then when they thaw, they'll be mushy and falling apart. If you can, then, always cook the noodles or rice separately and add them to the soup as you serve it. And if you're going to freeze the soup, don't add them to the pot. Cook them fresh when you thaw it out. It's a tip I plan to follow in the future. I ate a lot of soups getting ready for this episode. The fish chowder I told you about in the holiday episode. Smoked brisket chili from Kurt's Smoking Ribs in Mill Hall. Seafood bisque with our Christmas dinner from the Hummingbird Room. We finally tried the pelmeni soup at Cafe Luna in Pleasant Gap, and those juicy little dumplings were fantastic, and the base was hugely flavorful. I got a small portion of their borscht as well, and that was lively and fresh, just barely on the sweet side. And just in the past week, we made two pots of soup at home, and I got two soups down in Harrisburg while I was interviewing the beer thrillers' bloggers for the next show. Friends had told me that I should stop at Italian Pizza and Subs, just down the road from Boneshire Brew Works, where I was doing the interview. Italian Pizza and Subs. Wow, what a generic name. <laughs> they have a rotating soup menu. And Saturday is Italian wedding soup day. I love that soup, so I stopped for a bowl before heading home. It was great. A bowl of meaty chicken broth full of plump little meatballs, at least 15 in my bowl. Lots of the little Eccini de Pepe pasta dots and real endive, bitter greens. The broth ratio was perfect, so I munched the crackers rather than crumbling them in the soup. It stuck to my ribs the whole three-hour drive home. Yes, three-hour, which is usually a two-hour but that snow was something else. Speaking of rib sticking, earlier that day, I had stopped at Pronio's Market in Hershey, an Italian market that I missed in episode 21, to get some beef, meatballs, and good bread, mostly because it was snowing and I didn't want to go home empty-handed. But they also had containers of real-deal chicken pot pie, yellow with saffron and full of big raft-like noodles. I couldn't resist. Now, I know some of you are nodding, because you know what I'm talking about, But I also know that some of you are not local, or Lancaster local. Hi there, Lancaster fans. So I'll explain. Most of America hears chicken pot pie, and they think of Swanson's or Marie Callender, a frozen flaky pie filled with chicken, gravy, peas, and carrots in a tinfoil pan. This is not that. I'm talking about Pennsylvania Dutch pot pie, which is more like a chicken stew with thick square noodles. PA Dutch folks will tell you it's really called botboy, B-O-T-T-B-O-I, and that potpie is a corruption of that to familiar English words. You may hear that botboy means thick soup, but I've seen a fairly trustworthy Pennsylvania Dutch etymology site say that botboy is actually a Pennsylvania Dutch corruption of the English potpie. I gotta be honest, at this point, I don't know. But I do know it's not a chicken pie. So, What is it? Well, when you have a question about Pennsylvania Dutch food, there are two places you go. If you want to know how to cook it, you go to your grusmami, your grandma. If you want to know where it came from, you go to Dr. William Weiss Weaver, the authoritative writer on Pennsylvania Dutch culture and cuisine. He's kind of a hero of mine, and I'd really love to interview him on the show. 
need to look into that. Anyway, Weaver was asked about the two different versions of chicken pot pie by the Susquehanna Life blog back in 2017. Here's what he said. Both types are very old. The crust type came out of medieval English culture, while the one made with layered noodles came out of medieval German culture. Two similar dishes evolving from parallel culinary traditions. They end up side by side in America. Both concepts are thought to trace to the ancient Celts. They cooked in cauldrons, so lining one with dough was one of the ancestors of the modern pot pie, the pot being the cauldron. Thanks, Dr. Weaver. We've seen this kind of parallel evolution in other foods. A favorite of mine is dumplings. A ravioli is a samosa, is a pasty, is a maltasha, is a potsticker, is a pierogi. So pot pie is a stew with pastry. The pastry might be big noodles, or a crust, or drop dumplings. I like to argue with friends about this on social media, and I love to wind them up about dumplings. But really, there's no argument. There are just different ways to enjoy a chicken stew that's been plumped up with a bit of savory dough. And that fits right into soup season, too, as I enjoyed that pot pie today. It was voluptuous, unctuous, slippery chewy with chunks of clean trimmed chicken. I don't really make chicken pot pie that often, and with versions like this for sale, I don't really need to. But is it soup? Or is it stew? Now's a good time to get into that. But let's keep it simple. Soup is broth, water boiled with meat or fish, or the bones of either, or vegetables, or any combination of those. You take that broth and add to it simple things like just noodles or just corn or a whole farrago of stuff like my father's snowy day soup. And soup can be cream-based too or made with a roux. Imagine tomato bisque or a seafood bisque, mushroom soup, cream of potato soup. Cheesy soups are a bit more complicated, requiring care that they don't break and become grainy. Now stews, I'm told, are thicker with chunkier pieces in them. And as Jillian said, they're well, stewed. And sure, chicken pot pie, beef stew, jambalaya, pozole. Wait, is pozole soup or stew? And what about split pea soup, black bean soup? Those are pretty thick. They can even set up on you if you don't keep adding broth. And I do like mine with chunky pieces of ham. And goulash. There's goulash and there's goulash soup, I guess. And I need to get back to old New York, uh, the old New York restaurant here in State College, to do some more research on goulash, because theirs is really good, and they have nice German beer to go with it. So then we come to chowder, and you think you're on firm ground here, right? Creamy, chunky, often seafood-based. But then you get corn chowder, potato chowder, and you knew I was going here, Manhattan clam chowder. So what's that? I really was going to try and keep this simple, but it's starting to get like our dumpling discussions. There's always an exception. Chili con carne, for instance, as I discussed with Jillian. Stew? Thick soup? Or maybe like goulash, its own separate thing. Here's another source of argument. Ramen. I went to Tadashi in State College for lunch today, the final soup before recording. And ramen has its own argument. What makes it ramen? Is it the broth? Or is it the noodles? The broths are clearly different from bowl to bowl, and you taste them in every bite. But the noodles? Without the noodles, it's not ramen. They are ramen. I don't have an opinion on it. I do have one on Tadashi. It was delicious. I got the kuro ramen. Square slabs of tenderly seared pork, crisp bean sprouts, a slightly smoky sheet of nori, mushrooms, and ramen, plentifully coiled in the rich, rich broth. This is soup that takes your full attention, working the chopsticks for the noodles and the spoon for the broth, slurping the ramen to get the broth in with them. And it's not a bad thing to eat it fast, because you want it while it's still hot. I want more tomorrow. Finally, if you've been wondering, yes, I did make a pot of my father's snowy day soup during the recent snowstorm. I took the two pieces of bottom round I got at Pronio's and put them in about six quarts of water with salt and pepper brought it to a gentle boil and eased that back to a simmer and stirred in some of the jarred better than bullion, uh, the beef and some of the mushroom. I let that go for about 90 minutes while I chopped vegetables. When that was all done, I took the meat out and put it in the fridge to cool and started adding vegetables to the pot, some cabbage, some carrots, some turnips, three stalks of celery 
and a good quarter cup of chopped fresh parsley, then frozen limas, full-size ones, not babies, a can of Trader Joe's corn, because I sadly couldn't find any Cope's dried corn, about ten ounces of tomato juice, and half a bag of frozen peas. It was a good opportunity to empty out the freezer and the pantry. I added a bit more salt, some Penzi's Mural Flavor Spice Blend, and let that simmer for about an hour. Meanwhile, I trimmed the fat off the beef, tossing a few scraps to Pippin, and cut it up into roughly half-inch cubes. I put them in the soup when it was done simmering, along with another five ounces of tomato juice, because it just looked like it needed it. My dad always put onions and potatoes in the soup, and I usually do too, but this seemed pretty right without them, so I let it go. It was a good batch, and eating it Sunday afternoon with nothing else to do was a good snow day. My dad would have approved. That's it for soup season, for now. You know, there's plenty of mediocre slop out there that just gets slung into cups and bowls. There are cans on everyone's shelves for when you're just too tired or unmotivated to do anything more than open, pour, heat, and eat. Though, even when I do that, I usually add some mushrooms or diced tomatoes or some leftover diced protein, or at least some black pepper or Cajun seasoning. When you make soup yourself, though, it's a bit of a magic trick. Soup's liquid base pulls flavors from all the ingredients in the stock. They combine, for better or worse, in a new whole, hopefully one that is synergistically more than just a jumbled pile of poorly integrated aromas sloshing about in the pot. doesn't have to be hard, either. Grab one or two of those bags of the 15-bean soup mixes of dried beans you see in the, in the store, add a ham hock and the spice packet, and you're good to go. Or, hey, get some of the cooked tavern soups ready to go, and made right here in Spring Mills. If the episodes were longer, I'd have interviewed them too. Maybe next time. However you make it, soup on the stove fills the house. And in this season, soup season, coming in from the cold to a room warmed not just by the furnace is heart-filling. The rich, comforting aroma of simmering soup is a wonderful welcome. We don our coats and hats, pull on our gloves, and go out to do the work of winter tightening the bolts, securing the tarps, shoveling the snow, spreading the salt. And then we come back inside, stomp our boots, and have some soup. Stay warm, my friends, and don't forget the crackers. Well, it's dry January. <sighs> In a podcast like this, I kind of have to address it, especially given how big it's gotten. First, if you're wondering, no, I don't do it. I'm secure in my everyday temperate sobriety, and I don't feel the need to dry out, even after the holidays. More likely to feel like dieting, to be honest. But thousands, millions, will be taking part in dry January. Why? It fits in well with this month. People often overdo it in November and December, between celebrating, time off, and, sadly, holiday depression. Then January 2nd rolls around and there's another working week, with you sitting there in your sweatpants needing a haircut, and suddenly trying sobriety can sound kind of appealing. Some do it to see if they can. Some do it as a purge. Some do it as part of a diet. And, yes, some do it to save their lives. That last group, that's why I absolutely do not approve of making fun of dry January or the people partaking. Why would you do that? Maybe that person really needs it as a first tentative step toward being around for their loved ones and themselves. So if you do dry January for whatever reason, I'm not asking why and I'm not judging. I just have a favor to ask. Your local brew pub, winery, distillery, cider maker, your local tavern or restaurant, this was already literally the hardest month of the year for them. And dry January has made it significantly harder. Your favorite servers, waitresses, bartenders, and musicians are all just trying to get through this month. So if you can, go. Have dinner. Have a drink. Many places have adapted to dry January with today's vastly improved non-alcoholic beers, or fruit spritzers, elaborate non-alcoholic mocktails, or, you know, have a Coke Zero or a glass of water. But keep that ecosystem primed, so they'll be there when February rolls around, and with it, thirst. Be social. Stay social. That's healthy, too. Thanks. 
I was hoping to share some good news with you last episode, but it took just a little bit longer to happen than I thought. Blame the holidays. I know I was focused more on family and friends than on business. Did happen, though. Seen through a glass has its first sponsor. We're still working out the details, so I can't really say much more about who it is, other than that it's a non-profit. It's a substantive sponsorship, too, not just a sponsored-by statement. So I'll be adding a short segment to every episode, one that expands on what we're already doing. It's a win for all of us. That's not all. I have another project percolating, but again, we're still working out some technical details on how that's going to work. I should have more on that soon. 2024 is shaping up quickly as a big year. Well, you know, big in a Milheim sense of the word, which suits me just fine. That's the show. Thanks to Jillian Lee for the interview. Gotta respect that soup. We're on Instagram at Stag Podcast and on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass and available for download at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. Please consider subscribing. And if you like the show, please take a moment and drop a rating or review. Even better, tell your friends. Thanks. Now that sponsorship doesn't mean we're rich. Far from it. So please do consider the coffee button in my Instagram link tree, Twitter profile, both are at Lou Bryson, and at the Facebook page. If you like the show, this is an easy way to drop me a few bucks to help keep this going. And if you've already donated, thank you. I recently learned that salsa, made of tomatoes, tomatillos, lime juice, and chilies, is technically fruit salad. I'm still processing this information. The next episode is an experiment. I got together with the three main writers of The Beer Thrillers, a blog that's mostly about beer in central Pennsylvania. We sat down in the brew house at Bonesher Beer Works in Harrisburg and talked about beer and books and business. We had some beers. We ate some pizza. As always, that's in two weeks. Until then, thanks for listening. This is Lou Bryson on Seen Through a Glass from the smack dab center of the Keystone State.